You're listening to Filmmakers Drinking Bourbon. Hey, what's up, World Wide Web? My name is Alex. I'm Wes. And we're filmmakers. And I'm drinking coffee. <laughs> As am I. It's a little early here, <laughs> uh, but you guys know Wes. What is going on, man? Not much, dude. Not much. Just the wiping the sleep out of my eyes. <laughs> it's a little early where you're at, right? Well, for me, yeah. I'm a night owl, so 9 a.m. is like yawning with the sun. Ah, I feel like we're cut from the same cloth. It's noon here, and it's a little too early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice, dude. Well, what have you been up to since the last show? I mean, since you're hosting. Yeah, yeah. So finished up uh, the big animation project I mentioned, which uh, was more bloated than I thought it would be, but it was a super great learning experience, and I never want to open After Effects again. <laughs> um we launched the music video that I was referencing being on production, and I shared that in the Slack group so everyone could see that. Um, just been growing the business, uh, pursuing more, trying to find opportunities to make talking head stuff a little more interesting, because I've been doing a lot of that for businesses, and mm -hmm. trying to make it more narrative, more interesting, um, breaking up some techniques, and yeah, man, just kind of growing in the craft. Nice. And when you, uh, what are some of the techniques you're using to make talking heads more interesting? Um, being a little bit more inventive with the B-roll, um, looking at it not as B-roll, but as A-roll, and if that's even a thing, mm -hmm. and then having your talking head actually sort of be the supplement. So my idea is if I watch, watch this on mute, will I know the concept? Yeah. Um, that's kind of my guiding little note to myself with that now. Um, yeah, and just, you know, little things, just adding a little bit more production value to it and... I've started using a proper photo video studio and, you know, hair and makeup and stuff like that, you know, moving forward just to kind of tighten things up a little bit so it's not somebody in a fluorescent office because fluorescent office lights are dream killers. Terrible. But I will say, so I've, I've done a few of these uh, talking head corporate kind of documentary shoots recently, and I've been using yeah. these uh, Kino Flow selects and celebs. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that you can, yeah, you can dial in pretty much the, co the exact color that you need. So you walk around with a light nice. meter, you know, measure your office and dial that into the fixture and you're good. And you just right. wipe so out the look camera. Like the office. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so what kind of <laughs> gear are you ro rocking on these talking head shoots, uh, you know, for the B-roll and talking head segments? Sure. Well, my, my personal rig is a very run and gun, basic fallback kind of thing. It's a Blackmagic Pocket Cinema. Um, I keep a, not even an L, man, it's a Canon, like, mid-range, like, 28 to 135 on there mm. uh, with variable ND that pretty much always stays on. And then um, got a little external power, and that's it, really, and it's caged up. But um, yeah. for anything more serious than, it's good for, like, passenger seat filming, things like that, a little quick stuff. But anything more serious, I usually go for the Ursa Mini. Mm. Um and, you know, music video, when the client's got the budget for it, that's generally my go-to rental package with Lens Rentals, which you actually put me onto. Nice. Um, but a buddy of mine just uh, uh, bought the Ursa Mini Pro, mm. and the essentially the kit that you get with Lens Rentals, he just bought that, but then upgraded a lot of the parts in it, like, you know, bigger Anton Bowers and stuff. So from now on, I'll just be using that and saving some money there. But, uh, yeah, man, cool. I just love the... Uh, 
kind of the black magic look, but you know, in all fairness, it's just what I've used. So I'm comfortable with it mm-hmm. and I'm not like opposed to anything else. You know, nowadays all cameras are great. It's just preference. Oh, no doubt. How you light it, knowing the limitations of the kit for sure. How right, are you um, right. finding issues with the crop factor on the pocket cinema camera? Is it like, um, you know, I mean, do you it's use the a speed same booster to get around have it? on any, yeah. you know, micro four thirds. I've got the Metabones speed booster on it. So I'm, I think it's a, uh, I might not have the math right. I think it's a 1.7 multiplier. Mm. Um, that might not be right, but I'm also getting an extra stop of light, which is nice. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, you know, your, your depth of field is not going to be as shallow at its maximum and th- excuse me, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, crop factor wise, it's. All I've had is Micro Four Thirds frames, so it's what I'm used to. I'm sure if I put this on a full-frame cinema camera, I'm going to be like, oh, I've got all this extra <laughs> space on my frame. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just kind of what I'm used to, so I, I guess I've learned to compensate for it by not even really considering it. But, oh, nice. You know, I just did a shoot for an event um, two weeks ago, and I had that that lens, that Canon everyone has, that 70 to 200, um, mm. which is a f2.8 but on the speed booster i was getting f1.8 on my camera was reading wow which is pretty cool so it hasn't really been a problem oh that's good that's good to know so uh you know when you're done with the footage after you shot one of these pieces on the black magic are you are you shooting raw you shooting prores and how do you go about the post side of it yeah yeah. i get into this all the time with a very good friend of mine he's kind of learning the cinematography stuff is is the raw hype i feel is like it's justified, but it's, I, I think I've shot in raw three times. Yeah. Like, I, th- I think hype's a just good because, word. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I appreciate what you can do. I mean, it's pretty crazy that you can go adjust ISO after the fact, but mm. I think with stills, I wouldn't ever bother shooting in anything else. Um, but with footage, I'm like shooting in ProRes, you know, XQ mm. or HQ in my case, 422 is going to be completely sufficient for 95% of the things we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you mentioned, I think you said on that Nick Cage film, you guys shot ProRes. Like, it's yeah. kind of becoming the new, like, commonality. And no, you don't have quite as much latitude, but the workflow makes up for it. I mean, I don't have to go into DaVinci and export proxies and do that whole workaround. It's just kind of nice. For sure. No, no, no. On most of the things that um, I shoot Alexa on, it's all ProRes. I've never shot RAW on the Alexa, even though you have the option. Um, I just think, you which, know, uh, which flavor of ProRes are you usually using with that? Usually four, 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 four. So we don't, I don't even Got do it. the okay. XQ. I just do, you know, quad four ProRes. Um, sure. Just for the, for the great ability of it, you know, that's, it's perfect. As long as you expose it right yeah. and you have everything, you know, the intensities of the lights you want and everything's kind of within range, you have enough flexibility that you can kind of push it. Yeah. And really you should be getting as close to final product as possible right off the lens. So completely, you know, and, and even then with the color stuff, like I usually shoot in that film, uh, color space, unless I'm really on a time crunch, I'll shoot video because it's a little more close to rec 709. But the, uh, the, the grading process for me, I used to get super deep into it with like opening up DaVinci and doing all the nodes. And I'm like, you know, Maybe it's just the level of work I'm doing. None of this stuff is going out to, you know, DCP mm. packages. It's it's web distribution. It's corporate work. It's, you know, music video, stuff like that. Yeah. I, I'm completely fine using Final Cut's coloring 
you know, oh, nice. plug in. I mean, it's all you need. It's it's exposure, hue, saturation, that kind of stuff. I mean, it's the basics, but yeah. if that can't get you to what you're looking for, you probably shot it wrong. <laughs> I completely agree. When you start flagging <laughs> off things in post and putting windows and, you know, that's you just didn't have enough time on set, I guess. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, hey, speaking of gear, uh, there's a you know pretty big event that we went to last year and that a lot of guys are excited about coming up, uh, NAB. Mm-hmm. Yes. Are you going? Are you planning to tune in to some I'm, of the other podcasts that cover it? What's the deal? Yeah, probably the second. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily on my radar just yet. I feel like I'm still at the point where I'm going to go and be like... Um, in awe more than in understanding. Like I get what's going on with stuff, but I'm like my, my level of experience with like higher end, like, you know, more commercial stuff is just kind of like, yeah, that's super impressive. I've never used the previous generation of this camera to know why this is cool. Mm. It looks great. They all look great. Um, but I think maybe next year I might, um, like it took me a few years before I went to NAM. you know, I'm a musician. So going to NAM for two, three years in a row there, was great because I kind of was like super, super involved in gear. I was working at Sam Ash at the time, so I was super ingrained in all that. Whereas now I'm like, um, I think it'd be fun, but it's like I'm going to go through the travel and getting the tickets and showing up and all that kind of stuff just yeah. for me to be like with my jaw on the floor the whole time. It's like <laughs> I don't know that I'd really appreciate it yet. So I don't know. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, we, you know, obviously we, everybody tuned in and heard the kind of train wreck that was our NAB coverage. Uh, it was fun. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we talked about it multiple times. Yeah. We're, we'll never do that again as probably press. <laughs> we might, I might go to enjoy next year. I'm not planning on going this year, but yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I'd, uh, I'd much rather enjoy I mean, I it when I'm to, not covering it. <laughs> I know it's not a, co- not a competitor, but, uh, uh, go creative show. Ben Consoli actually does a pretty good NAB, uh, oh, yeah. coverage every year, um, but yeah, I remember listening back to that episode. I thought it was entertaining, man. I don't know. I don't, the train wreck's a strong ride. Give yourself more credit than that. I appreciate it. Yeah. we. Uh, there's just so many people that do it so well. So we'll, we'll let yeah. them be the masters at that and we'll just, uh, <laughs> you know, maintain our commentary. <laughs> right. Uh, but I am excited to see uh, what some of the manufacturers are coming out with. I'm a big Canon guy. Um, you know, they yeah. just released their C700 a little while ago. So I'm kind of interested to what see. What do you think about that thing, man? I haven't gotten hands on it, uh, but it looks good, although like two years too late. Uh, yes, that's, so. what, that's what everyone keeps saying. It's great, but yeah. you know, for 2014. Yes, and for for you know the price point, it's a little high for what it does right. when you can you know upgrade to the mini or something like that. So it looks cool, and I'm excited to kind of test it out on a project. I've got a you know buddy um, interested in working with who's got connections with a Canon rep that we may be able to get hands on one. So we'll, we'll see how nice. that goes, but I'm interested, uh, to see if they end up doing this C300 mini that people have been talking about. I don't oh, know if that's okay. a thing that is needed in the marketplace, but just no, they'll probably do monitor? it. <laughs> I mean, how do you, how do you make that any more mini? I don't know. It's going to be the size of an iPhone. It's just a sensor. Yeah. It's just a sensor. You just with hold a lens the sensor up. up. Done. <laughs> Crazy. But yeah, I mean, it seems like they're always, you know, they always have something to pitch. Uh, Sony's probably going to have 15,000 new cameras. And then Blackmagic yeah. will probably have a few. Yeah. I'm yeah. thinking, uh, I don't know, man. I, I, I've used, 
the only experience with Sony I have is the FS700, which uh, my buddy, who was actually my guest on the podcast, he owns it. Yeah. Um, Great camera. I've used it a few times. I like it. Um, it's the interface is the deal breaker for me. Like mm-hmm. I just can't get used to that. Um, and like I said, all cameras look great now. So it's just kind of like a preference thing. And for me, like that's like the, I can't deal with like this menu central, like oh, it's, it's just terrible. very convoluted. That's the thing with me with Sony. I don't know. Yeah. No, no, it was definitely built by, you know, coders, programmers, <laughs> technicians, not by the people that actually use it. <laughs> right. So they did, I feel like they didn't take any notes like, ah, you know, we should have this in this menu subsetting and, you know, a, an actual button for this thing. And no, they didn't do that. Right. I was at a, uh, last summer I was at a Blackmagic event in Burbank and they had this uh, DP on there who shoots a lot of stuff like Discovery Channel, a lot of documentary work. And he was saying that, he goes, I've been a beta tester for Sony for like 15 years. Like mm. when they send me the cameras, they're still in Japanese. They're not any less confusing actually. <laughs> and then, uh, he just said, you know, when I when the Airsa Mini came out, I, I just was like for one fifth of what my, I think he was on an F55. Oh, it was yeah. like for one fifth of what this camera costs. And it's like, the menus like run in their sleep. So yeah. I thought it was kind of interesting. Even someone who's using this stuff in and out, he's like, I was the first person in America to own the F55 and I still struggle with menu system stuff. Oh, it's terrible. And the fact that, you know, Blackmagic seems to have fixed a lot of the issues that customers had with yeah. with their cameras with, you know, more physical buttons, built-in NDs, all right. that stuff with the Pro. I mean, I, I've i kind of, you know, I'll admit, I've been a little bit of a hater on Blackmagic. Um <laughs> I like the stuff you can get from it, but, you know, the usability, the yeah. quirks, the overheating issues, uh, you know, the right. fact that you couldn't format a card in the camera for the longest time, a um, little weird, but I, I'm kind of interested in the Pro, the Mini Pro. So I mean, I've used it now uh, once, but we had it here for a couple hours, and I was just playing around with it, and yeah. I'm like, oh, they fixed that, oh, they fixed <laughs> that, oh, now you can turn it on without opening the screen up, just little things that's like, oh, that's so nice, you know, a yes. single button for high frame rate, like, that's cool. um, I know a lot of the complaints people had is kind of been alleviated now, so mm-hmm. um, I'm curious to see what it does once the word gets out with the market share with like C100. Um, yeah. Because, you know, the other gripe was their release schedule and kind of just delaying on stuff, but they haven't really been doing, I mean, this thing that released it, I think a week and a half after it was announced. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely nice. And I think, you know, the form factor with the original cinema camera was just weird. And then like that studio camera looks like Darth Vader's helmet. Like there's <laughs> no like, there's going to be like a normal camera. But now when I had this, I was like, this feels right. Like, feels real. It just feels more comfortable, so. Yeah. No, I, I'm definitely eager to uh, to get it on a project and see what it can do. You know, I know it's got the range, it's got the, the frame rates and all the functionality that I want. I uh, just got to, you know, buck up and run it one time and see what it can do. Dude, yeah. that rental's like the full package. I think it's like 150 a day. That's I mean, insane. <laughs> just, just get it for a weekend. Just that's to like a third. Of the, so I sh- I've been shooting a lot on the C300 Mark II recently, and that's like a third of oh, cool. the body only package for, for the C300 Mark II. Yeah, right. Craziness. Well, my only hope is I that was thinking about good. I was just saying, my only hope is that at NAB Blackmagic holds off on releasing anything new, and they just you know support the uh, the platforms that they already have. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, that that. B&H, I don't know if you guys saw this, was doing a deal for a while there where if you bought the Mini Pro, they gave you a full-size Ursa 4K for yeah, $500. which is crazy. 
And so my buddy got that discount. And he's like, I'm probably just going to sell the 4K. I'm like, ah, yeah. maybe hold on to it because you have a two camera cinema package then? Like, yes. That's cool. Like, <laughs> no doubt. Well, like you're talking about with, you know, higher end, you know, pushing talking heads and all that stuff. That'd be perfect. If you're going out with a small package with the Pro and then the 4K, like you're set. Yeah. And, you know, he's trying to do more narrative short film festival kind of stuff this upcoming mm. year year or two. And I'm like, you know, that people, if you're shooting one camera, a lot of times, you know, it's a preference. But it's a lot of times just because, like, we can't afford to rent a entirely second kit. True. With this, it's like, dude, you, you got the advantage that a lot of people don't have and got it for 500 bucks. And it's a great <laughs> camera. Like, take yeah. advantage of that. No doubt. Yeah, yeah. Work it, work it for a bit before you sell it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, nice, man. Uh, what else is going on? I mean, you've uh, what have you been watching? What have you been doing? Any of that stuff? That's one of our typical um, questions. Yeah. I, well, I got to be honest. I just got just got video games for the first time since I was like ten. So please tell me it's I Zelda. I just bought a. Go ahead. Say please tell me it's Zelda. No. <laughs> I, you know what? I saw Brandon post about getting the Switch, and I was like, that thing's kind of cool. Like, I'm so out of touch with video games. I, I haven't played since I was little on N64. And so then I was, like, talking to my buddy, and at first I was thinking, ah, oh, PS4 is kind of cool. I got an Xbox One S. Nice. And uh, been, like, getting back into all that. It's just fun, you know, when I'm done working for the day online for all. We'll play some Ghost Recon or something. But Cool. So my Apple TV hasn't had much love until last night, and I watched... Uh, what did I watch last night? Oh, Why Him? I don't know why, because all the good movies were why like not available him? yet. I was like, ah, oh, this looks funny. Is that the kind Franco dumb, but, like uh, buddy dad comedy thing? Yeah, it's basically Meet the Parents, but like just super raunchy and not as clever. But gotcha. it was fine. Um, La La Land's not available yet, which I still haven't seen. No, um, watch Nocturnal Animals for a third time the night before that. Which yeah, is I, people amazing. are posting like that about the uh, uh, posting about that like crazy. It, give me your take on Dude, that. What do, what do you think? So I think it takes a non-director to make a movie like that. Like Tom Ford's a fashion designer, so his aesthetic is completely different than what we're used to. Um, and it's just very like art for the sake of art in some points. But like when someone asked me, I tell them my favorite movies are Good Will Hunting, uh, Inception, and Ex Machina. Yeah. And that's now number four. Wow. Like it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. I It left me like shook, man. Like I'm sitting there closing credits and I'm like, jaw on the floor the person i was with we were just like what just happened like it was so powerful and so like i mean the first 20 minutes of that movie i'm like on the edge of my seat like not mm. sure what's about to happen because it's also like disconcerting but not in a scary horror jump out at you moment but it's like i don't know what's about to happen because none of this follows convention really wow um but just the way the story was told is just like nothing i've ever seen it was just so inventive Wow, wow, wow. So good story, great, you know, great directing. What what about the uh, actual craft of it, the the look of it, the editing, the, you know, sound design? Oh, it was gorgeous. I mean, you know, obviously, as we all do, my friend jokes, I don't watch movies like you guys, you know, yeah. <laughs> talking to lay, lay people. Like, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, trying to pay attention to every aspect of this. And I'm like, for me personally, this thing was just like 10 out of 10 across every, you know, discipline of, of the movie, really. Mm -hmm. Um the acting was, uh, Michael Shannon was just amazing in it. Um, I love Jake Gyllenhaal. I'm with Brandon. I got a man crush on the dude. So it was just great. Um, and the casting, without giving anything away if you haven't seen it, but you, the casting is very creative because they have to sort of, you know, use characters to represent other characters, if that makes sense. So 
Um, it's really good. And then at the end of the movie, you kind of piece together like, oh, that's what I've been seeing this whole time. It makes sense now. So Interesting. Well, I guess I know what I'm doing tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it in Redbox the other day. Yeah, I know you guys are hyping up. Uh, what was it Moonlight and La La Land? I've I've seen Moonlight, haven't seen La La Land yet, but I, I haven't seen either. Amazing. Man, Brandon's been on that train for a while. He always you know catches up and watches all of them right before the big show. But I, I'm a slacker. Did on you that. see Moonlight? No, I haven't seen Moonlight. Oh, uh-uh. okay, yeah, no. But it looks pretty. I've seen the trailer. The trailer itself, you know, gave me chills. So I'm the gonna cin- have to look. Yeah, at it. cinematography was definitely the highlight of that for me just because I feel like um, it was almost in the same way like The Revenant like you watch that going I haven't seen a movie that that looks like this really Mm -hmm. like it's kind of in its own thing and I think like I wouldn't be surprised if for most of Moonlight they were on like some super long lens and handheld because it was like subjects in and out focus was super loose but it made you feel like right in front of them right with them in the action it was very like um human and like intimate in a way it was really cool it's appropriate for the story yeah Yeah, uh funny story um speaking of prores they shot that entire movie in prores on the alexa so really yeah and that thing you know looks great was best picture whole nine yards so there you go you don't have to shoot raw guys yeah because then when people are like well it's not raw it's not 4k i'm like you realize film is 2k (laughs) and most movies aren't shot in raw Exactly. <laughs> Not anymore, it seems. Look at how many best cinematography winners that were shot in 2K. Come on. Or the fact that uh, what Tangerine was shot in an iPhone. Like, that's the end yeah. of Ultimate Mic Drop. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you saw the movie, but... I didn't see it, no. Pretty gorgeous. Really? On an iPhone? Yeah, Pretty? won a uh, bunch of Sundance stuff like two years ago. Yeah, yeah, I know of it. I just never took the time to go oh, see okay. it. I, You know, I heard... Subject matter and, uh, you know, things that, I don't know, just didn't really, like, pique my interest. But I'll have to check it out. Yeah, the subject matter wasn't necessarily my thing, but the, uh, I was just more curious, like, okay, I gotta see how this looks. Yeah. And, you know, it's not an Alexa, it's not film, it's not red, but man, it's like, all cameras are great now, if you know how to milk the quality out of them. And I've seen stuff, you know, that same friend was like, oh, we rented this red for, you know, this corporate thing. I'm like, yeah, but... Why? You know, you can have an amazing camera and not know what you're doing with it, and it'll look like junk. I mean, True. you know, you gotta you gotta kind of know what you're what you're working with and, and how to squeeze all the quality of it. I'm at a point now with my thing where like I know avoid super low light. You know, mm-hmm. there's certain things to look for, certain things to watch out for that, and I'm sure you do with the Alexa, like yeah, because you're really familiar with it. You kind of know its strengths and how to play to that. Yep. No, no doubt. It's all about uh, you know taking the time, experimenting, and, and knowing the tech. For sure. Yeah. What about you? What do you what have you been into lately? Mm. Speaking of the Switch, uh, that is what my wife bought me for my birthday. So nice. I too am nice. into video games and I've been uh, playing Zelda. I, I took a note, you know, page out of Brandon's book. Uh, <laughs> got, in, got into the whole <laughs> Zelda thing and it's, I gotta say, I'm kind of obsessed. It's really good. It's like, people are saying it's like the greatest game ever made. Yeah, it's like easily top five, you know, on every list, but it's a time killer. You know, I just got done with a a big week of work, uh, you know, a few different projects, really stressful, one overnight, um, prepping, you know, three jobs at the same time. So last night, you know, I just took a few hours to myself and zoned out and traveled through Hyrule Kingdom. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I told my girl that she was texting me the other day, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Bolivia and bust up some drug cartels for a couple hours. So. <laughs> nice. Ghost Recon Wildlands. Yeah, man. Ugh. I got like, I don't know games. You know, I'm still learning like how, what all the ins and outs of games are. And yeah. again, you know, when I'm learning something, I get podcasts and blogs. I'm just trying to like learn about it. And everyone keeps talking about this game. So I got it. And I'm like, oh, this is too fun for my own good. Like commanding people. And I played Xbox Live for the first time. Oh, yeah. And uh, did you get harassed yeah, by some cool. 10 year old like, British kid? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's, so you want to hear something crazy, right? So my first time ever playing Xbox Live. Potentially millions of people. This is a brand new game. Everyone's playing it, like nationwide. Um, I'm sure it could have been international, but anyway. So you're in a team of four. So it's uh-huh. you and three other people that you get matched with. And one of the four people, one of the three people, I went to high school with him. What? And you just First happened to randomly be on Xbox Live. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, hey, where are y'all from? So we kind of started chatting and like narrowed it down. Oh, me too. Oh, me too. What high school yeah. did you go to? He's like, dude, I graduated the year after you. Wow. Millions of people, first time ever online, out of the three, one dude lives 10 minutes from me and went to school with me. It's just crazy. serendipity. Did you guys like connect on Facebook and all that stuff afterwards? Yeah. Well, like my little sister went to school. She's like, oh yeah, I remember him. Like, what are the odds, man? It's just crazy. Mm. So, that's fun. The weird world of current technology. That's crazy. Eventually yeah, you're going to be doing like VR Call of Duty and like be look, you'll look next to you and see your like best friend sitting on a couch or something. It's gonna be weird. Yeah, that's that's freaking me out, man. I heard some guys talking about the Resident Evil VR the other day. Supposedly, I'm like, you know, I, I know we haven't talked. We've you guys have touched on VR with filmmaking. Like, mm-hmm. what's it really going to impact? And I think Brandon said porn and training. Yeah, um, which could be the same thing depending on what you do for a living. But I yeah. think uh, I think <laughs> it's going to have a big impact on gaming for sure. Um, I completely now agree. That I'm doing it. Well, the the weird thing, I mean, is is with like military training and video games, the line is so blurred. You look at drone warfare and people sitting behind a joystick, yeah. not knowing the people that they're targeting. It's, you know, and they're recruiting dudes that all they do is play Call of Duty, like this generation. So there's the kind of weird disconnect between like actual human life and video games. <laughs> yeah. I remember the first, when I was a kid, the first time I played uh, Command and Conquer, like it was kind of violent and I was like 10, you know? Yeah. And I was like, hey, you know, I was 10, dad, can I get this game? And he's like, yeah, that's fine. Just, you know, remember those are people's husbands and fathers. Whoa. And I'm like, no, they're pixels on a screen. But, you know, look, now that I'm older, I'm like, yeah, I get what he was saying. They're like, don't become desensitized to like, no oh, that guy's like, that's a human life. Yeah. And now that we hear these, you know, Call of Duty and all these kind of games that are getting bigger now, it's like, when are we getting guys enlisting? Like, I've played lots of Call of Duty. I can do it. I'm like, that kind of scares me a little yes. bit. Yes. You need to know what's real and what's not. Well, that's kind of so filmmaking. Yeah, um, filmmaking. What are you working on? Go ahead. I said, what are you working on? Ah, well, the last three projects were two kind of corporate commercial pieces and no. a short film for a company. Um, so it, this giant multinational corporation kind of, you know, wanted to create a short film for a conference that they were holding for their employees. So we had three days, actually two days, and then a day of reshoots to uh, do this really interesting kind of graffiti street like art a narrative piece. Thing? Yeah, narrative. So it ended up, wow. uh, I haven't okay. seen the final cut yet, but uh, the uh, first cut was like seven minutes. So it was kind of neat. That's but, uh, gutsy for a company. Yeah, that's pretty cool that they were willing to kind of take that risk. Yeah, and you know, we had a decent budget. I shot it on the uh, Alexa Mini with Koa anamorphic lenses and you know had a full crew and 
we shot in an office what location. What is your thought with anamorphic? I've never used it. I know some of the advantages. It's more of an aesthetic thing. Like, what do yeah. you think about it? Oh, dude, my preferred format for sure. If I can really? have the budget and the you know the crew necessary to maintain and pull it off right, that's what I want to do. Totally. How do you have to alter your actual shooting with anamorphic? Because I know you got to like de-squeeze it in post or something, right? I've, I well, mean, I've never current cameras it. like the Red and the Alexa and maybe even Black Ma- the new Black Magic can de-squeeze it in. Camera. It does. Yeah, they'll show you a preview of it de-squeezed, uh, and then ah. when you get the footage back to the computer, yeah, it'll be kind of squished four three, and then you have to just within Premiere and pretty much any NLE, you just uh, highlight the clip, you know, go into options and click uh, pixel cool. aspect ratio and, and uh, interpret it as anamorphic. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm starting to see it now because I'm knowing what to look for, like the oval-shaped bokeh and yeah. the, kind of the fall-off. And I notice like more chromatic aberration around the edge of the frame, but it's Dude, got that it's really cool look to it. Totally my my go-to. Like it, I've only done it on two projects now, uh, the UC spot and the short film. Um but, you know, upcoming music videos, uh, camera department, um, rental house here in town just got a second set of Koa uh, anamorphics, which are kind of budget-friendly old Japanese anamorphics. Really, really cool. Really distorted huh. and, you know, a lot of funk and character to it. So that's going to be, you know, a big push from now on. Interesting. Do, what is, do you have a, like, your personal camera package? Or do you just invest in lenses or... Uh, I have uh, an old Red One, old Red okay. One MX that I <laughs> that I carry around with me. That's uh, I just shot another short film with it recently, uh, with my buddy Adam Still Mark holds Brown. Up. Yeah, what's up? Huh. I've never used Red, and I feel super limited because everyone's like Alexa Red, Alexa Red. Like ah. I've never used either, and I need to get my hands on it because I feel limited. But yeah, you know, I get to pick the camera so package so far, so it hasn't been an issue. But I'd like to use it. I would jump into it. Yeah, I mean, you can uh, you can get an old Scarlet or you know whatever on rental houses and stuff for nothing. Um, yeah, I would do it. You know, just on a project to to get familiar and comfortable with it and see see if it's something you like. Uh, the flexibility is great. The image quality is great um, when you know the limitations. I will I will put that caveat on it. So the old mm-hmm. MX sensor that I have that you know the old Epic and Scarlets had. You know, clipped the highlights at a certain point. It was a very harsh clip. It wasn't a soft roll-off like the Alexa or the Black Magic. You know, you couldn't underexpose it too much. You got a lot of grain. You know, you mm. got green in the skin tones. A bunch of different quirks that you just have to know about. So, like Would anything, it's familiarity. Good. I would say just like anything, it's familiarity. Yeah. Right. Would you say as a, as a DP that you're bigger sort of like... Um, focus when it comes to no, like equipment knowledge and stuff would be on lighting or on lenses. Uh, both. I think I you know I, I put equal focus mm-hmm. on both of them. I'd say um, lighting's the the big deal. You know I, I shot a bunch of stuff on like L series glass um, that I'm really proud of. Uh, mm-hmm. But lenses definitely have a huge effect on the image quality. You know. There's a big difference between an L series lens and a, a cinema like a Cook Prime. That right. you just unless right. you have done it and you can sit there in post and toggle back and forth and look at it, you, you know you're not going to really know. But definitely, especially working on set uh, mm-hmm. with hard stops and you know all the uh, correct kind of focus equipment. 
we had a, a talking head thing I did. I just released pretty recently for a, 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 the client who I did the animation videos for. Actually, this was filmed content, but we I was like, you know, they got the budget for it. I want to get like a serious lens for this. And we only needed one focal length. So I got the CP2 super speed uh, 50 millimeter. Yeah. And man, like I know that's like one of the big choices out there. And I've always wondered why. And as soon as I took it out of the box, I was like, oh, like, <laughs> I just already instantly know. feel. I mean, I have yeah. the uh, Roken on Cine primes that I usually use for that kind of stuff. But I was like, I want to get like a real nice prime and as soon as i took it out and just turned the gears on it i was like oh man this just feels different you can just tell yes and though i think it was at 1.2 or 1.5 something like that but um, one fives of the super i mean yeah yeah, one nostrils in focus and the other one's not just (laughs) it's pretty amazing but uh yeah Yeah. i love that thing so now i'm going to try and experiment more with like other lenses out there and just having to deal with oh this is too fast almost like it's kind of a cool problem so i started exposing for style and then you know filtering for uh light yep totally no that's that's a good way to go about it but yeah i mean as you get deeper into it and you start experimenting with more lenses you'll you'll notice you know little quirks and issues and style things between lens manufacturers it's really cool so you know yeah, if, I'm, I'm hoping to get to that point where oh you know zeiss is known for this or you know whatever yeah, yeah. i really want to use some cooks at some point i've just heard them make great things but we'll have to see when the budget justifies it yeah, they're pricey, but dude, if they're if if the project calls for it and you got the budget, they're totally worth it. We're uh, what is your usual? Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. I say, what is your usual preference when it comes to like stabilization? Because I've had some issues with that lately. Uh, typically, uh, I'm a you know sticks and dolly kind of guy. Uh, I do mm-hmm. that or handheld. Um, yeah. Gimbal work, like with the Movi or the. Tilta or the Ronin or whatever, you know, any of those things, it's always an issue. So if, yeah. unless we really need to do it that way, it's like, uh, well, let's hire a Steadicam operator, you know, let's do this right. Right. Um, right. Something that we can control and there's less electronics and, you know, a guy that knows what he's doing. Um, but I always have issues with, with a Ronin or a Movi or a Tilta, you know, it's just either a weight capacity yeah. thing where the motors start failing or the software bugs out or, you know, name any quirk. Right. We had on that that project I just mentioned, we had a Ronin as part of the rental, uh, the full size Ronin with the extension arms. So it was mm. just the Ursa with the Anton Bauer and the lens. I mean, no extra kit on it. And it was and I've used the Ronin M probably 12, 15 times and the full size Ronin a few times. And so I kind of knew like what I was getting into, you know, built it up. It took like an hour and a half to get the thing built out of the rental package and balanced and got it up, sitting on the desk, perfectly still center gravity found, took it off, turned it on and it just started flying around. Yep. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. All right. And (laughs) so finally got it to settle down and us literally three seconds into our first take, one of the axes is. Axes, axes, one of the directions that it can move on the remote just instantly stopped. Wow. I was like, oh, so I guess we're going handheld because I don't want to waste an entire shooting day getting a Ronin to work. And I think that's the upside to like Glidecam, Steadicam, things like that is just it's completely center of gravity. So there's no electronics to like muck anything up. Like if it's not working, rebalance it. Exactly. And, you know, looking around like BTS footage on like large studio projects you almost never see gimbals it's steady yeah. cam because it's just yeah. always gonna work <laughs> as long as gravity is around yeah i mean the, the only time you really see it um 
on big, big productions is like tight spaces where they need that stabilization or maybe it's sure. a rig to a, a hostess tray, you know, on a car mount where they want to be able to control it right. remotely. Um, but even then, they you know, they have other really heavy-duty remote heads that are trustworthy, <laughs> you know? I hate to, yeah. to use that and say that Movi and Ronin and Tilton that aren't trustworthy because they, you know, they, they have their moments in the in the golden spotlight, but there's issues. There are, there are tons of issues. I think the technology is just so new. I mean, the concept of gyroscopes and instant balancing, it's like mm. it's never going to be the same as floating gravity. I mean, not to say it never will be, but it's going to be a while yeah. before it looks as smooth and as fluid as just gravity and weight. Totally. Um, when you, whenever I, you have to I, hook I like up concept. a computer to your gimbal to like adjust settings and tune a slider, <laughs> that just immediately is like, yeah, no, I'm good. I'll hire my buddy Dave yeah. to do steady cam. <laughs> right, right. Well, I think yeah. the I've been hearing good things about the Movi, um, saying Pro. it's slightly more reliable electronically. Yeah. But I'm like, man, I just now. I mean, well, here's a like 350. Funny story. I was just in a camera department returning gear for that last project. And uh, Eric Gergesh, their, one of their techs and a, a good DP in his own right, was on a shoot um, with the Movi Pro, and it completely crapped out on him. Just stopped what? functioning. Yeah, I think he had, wow. he had two or three of the motors, like, burn out and just bad. Ooh. And then he tried to get a hold of, you know, somebody to fix it for the company, and uh, nobody would get back to him. There's, like, a huge wait list, and it's first come, first serve. It's just terrible. So... Yeah. Nope. Well, we had, you know, I, I sent an email to Lens Rentals and they were great. They like credited me back for that. And then we had a uh, DJI follow focus, which was super cool that like I turned it on and it just burned out, like just stopped. Yeah. So they took care of that too, which is nice. But yeah, I mean, it's once I start involving electronics, I'm like, I know a <laughs> manual follow focus is always going to work because gears are pretty consistent. True. But I've had plenty of issues with remote. Once you start electronics, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Oh yeah, no. I see a lot of my jobs are are remote focus. Um, you know, for my AC, like a Preston follow mm-hmm. focus or airy follow focus type thing. Um, but it always seems like there's every third or fourth job there's an issue that needs to be you know have some troubleshooting done or something like that. So the right. biggest we thing though, going, uh, with any, I would just say the good. biggest thing with any of this, these pieces of gear is prep. You know, if you're going to use one of these things and you've never used it before. Even if you have, and it's just a you know a rental item from a company, get in there and test it. Yeah, put it together, yep. make sure it works prior to your shoot. You know, for anyone out there, just put in the time ahead of uh, you know ahead of the shoot. Dude, even with my own stuff, I mean, I've got my entire core rig is in one Pelican sixteen ten. So I'm yeah. not audio, but everything else. Um, I mean, no, I've got my my road my road link mics in there too so technically audio and when i have a job coming up the night before i will take everything out fully build the camera make sure everything's functioning and even my own stuff just to make sure like something didn't go out you know since the last time i used it because you don't want to have to show up and be like oh i forgot that uh you know my card wasn't in the camera my external battery's dead or something like that because it just looks so unprofessional that one's waiting on you now it's a good practice to get into yeah that's cool. So, well, um, with yeah. your with your music video experience, which I'm super into, man, I'm a big Twenty One Pilots fan, so it's super cool that you did that that work. Um, uh, what do you say is like 
the biggest difference shooting like long form narrative versus that equipment wise? Is it like you prepping for more versatility? Are you kind of, you know, you've got your storyboarding and stuff so tight on a shorter project that you know exactly what you're going to need? Uh, yeah, it's pretty much, especially on a short film or, you know, anything that's really compact, it's all as locked down as possible. You know, we typically, yeah. so I've done a bunch of short films and stuff. Um, uh-huh. and even on the music videos, you can treat it as a, as a narrative It's uh, you don't really have the budget to, uh, build your package out for any inevitability. You kind of have to know mm-hmm. exactly what you're going to need. You know, oh, we're going to do this car rig shot, or we're going to do this crane shot, or we're going to do gimbal or whatever like on this day you have to know exactly you can't just oh we're going to carry a gimbal for the entire show because uh, we just don't have the money for it so yeah it's definitely very much more lockdown you know in uh typically as far as like lighting um you know i've seen the locations i know exactly what they're going to be uh but if it's if i haven't seen the locations you know i'll typically get stills or something from the director producer whoever mm. And just based on experience, knowing, okay, well, I've got these windows and I've got this, and here's how high the ceilings are, I kind of can build out a general package that I know should be able to function. So, right. you know, it's, it's locked down as possible, but with any project, there's a little bit of flexibility you have to build in just in case. Like if a certain piece of gear goes out or if a lamp, you know, light breaks or whatever, you got to have backups and you got to have other solutions. The, uh, I was just working, uh, shooting BTS stuff for uh, the feature film my, my friend who was on the show with. We, we were shooting that all throughout January, and mm. they got eight or ten Draycast LEDs, and I think just one buys, and on like the third day, like half of them had plugs. Like on the cord, the actual plug had like severed from the cord, just like pulled out Whoa. from it. And so they had to go to Home Depot and pick up like six plugs and like bring them to set and like like braiding wire on set and then gaffing it up to keep it protected like so i mean things like that you can't really always account for like you just have to be ready like i tell myself going into a shoot as bad as this probably sounds and i'm sure this will get lessened over time and just you know my my mom is a uh, event coordinator so like if something plan that something will go wrong we've just learned this like over the years between her talking about stuff and then you know my own stuff is like Something will go wrong. Be ready to like, okay, breathe. Like how you respond to it is more important. Like, are we going to freak out and let it ruin the day? It's like, okay, here's what we do now to, to you know, fix this. Totally. Totally. We uh, so, just I mean, a, sh- a, a small example of kind of that exact scenario on two days ago. Yeah, two days ago, I was doing the shoot um, in an office. Uh, it was a very storyboarded, very specific uh, shoot. You know, we're looking through a doorway at a whiteboard, and on the right side of frame are uh, two giant windows. And we were planning for overcast all day. We're like, oh, great, soft light coming through the windows. No need to do anything to the windows. It's going to be fantastic. So I get all set up. We got all lit. You know, camera's on the Dana Dolly. We're looking, you know, in the right direction. Frame looks fantastic. Talent's ready. Final touches on hair and makeup. And here comes the sun. (laughs) And the sun's peeking through and it's super hard and it's like, you know, <laughs> six stops over, you know, what our, what I lit for. And everyone's just looking around like, great, what do we do now? And, you know, that's the thing. Like you said, freaking out or are you just going to kind of, you know, 
put your nose to the groundstone <laughs> and fix the <laughs> problem. Yep. Uh, oh, so yeah, so we adjusted the frame. We framed out the windows. We, you know, I put diffusion on the windows, had the grips uh, really soften everything up, and brought it back within range, and it looked maybe even better than it would have looked. So yeah, yeah you just got to be ready for those solutions. Going outdoors with shifting light like that. I mean, we had a scene on that sh- on that film last in February with a giant window that mm. was flooding light into where the talent was, and so we put up ND on the window on the outside, and then the light changed, and it was a kind of a you know every twenty minutes the light was changing, so we kept yeah. having to pull down the ND, put up the ND, pull down the ND to Ooh. compensate for the overcast and then bright, harsh sunlight. Yes. Um, and that definitely slowed us down. You know, we're re- rearranging lights a, a little bit between shots just to try and compensate and keep consistency. But uh-huh. uh, I do not envy whoever is coloring that <laughs> soon. But yeah, you have to just kind of roll with the punches, especially in a non-studio environment, you know, where you don't have control over all of those elements. Yep. It's the same thing as, you know, as everyone at Sound Images knows, recording in a studio versus recording live and just mm-hmm. little variables that you can't really account for, you know, no or, doubt. Uh, you know, losing a big significant part of your footage on the last night of a music video shoot oh. and having to rewrite the story. Yes. So, <laughs> Things you I just got to roll with. I have coming up I was going to ask you about actually. Yeah. This is an interesting one and I'm not, I'm not grippy at all with that kind of stuff. Yes. So we have to shoot straight down bird's eye into the surface of a pool. Uh-huh. And I'm like, do I build a archway over the pool? Do I crane it in and go straight down like jib kind of thing? I don't, I don't know, man. We'll is the, uh, out, but is stuff the, like that's always, you know, interesting. Is the budget good? Do you have enough budget for a crane? Uh, we have enough budget for Starbucks. <laughs> so, so we're no. going to be caffeinated. But, gotcha. Um, uh, well, I'm, as far I might as... be stringing bungee cord across the trees and hanging it, you know. Wow. Um, yeah, no, I was going to no, say, I'm do you have... <laughs> <laughs> do you have a uh, rigging? Uh, like, can, do you, are are you hooked up with a, a grip package and all that stuff? No, I might have to be though. I'm think I, I tried to find some some going. This might be a good question for those guys, but yeah. I think I'm gonna have to probably just get like a pocket jib. And, and I saw a few guys that did it like that with weighted down on the edge of the pool. Yes, because it's meant to look like the surface surface of the ocean. So we're gonna have to do some some lighting and some hazing and stuff, and yeah. gonna shoot it at night and make little waves and stuff. And okay. he's gonna be floating on his back, singing up towards the camera for the entire video as stuff floats by him, so slowly revealing this like story. Cool. And uh, the idea was just to have a straight bird's eye shot. And I'm like, man, like I'm either gonna have to build some sort of like archway that goes over the pool and have the camera down or, yeah, you know, do a, do a jib, you know, shooting down, which it seems is like what a few people have done, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I would highly recommend if you can get a dude, get a jib operator who owns his own package that, you know, wants to come out and be a part of that. That's definitely going to be your best bet because you're going to have kind of infinite uh, you know, adjustability on height and whatever based on your lens. Right, um, right. The when you do like a fixed rig, like a you know speed rail and a cheese plate or whatever over top of the pool, it's a lot harder to adjust. If it's just like just off sure. center or just too high, or <laughs> it's a, it's a bear to bring it back down and re rig the camera and take it back up and safety it off. You know, so that's hmm. my interesting vote. And if you can do it, do that. Put out a blast yeah, on social media and be like, "Hey, anybody want to?" You know, I've done that before. It's so. only if no only shame. Had a, a small network of dedicated film professionals <laughs> who enjoy sharing projects. Oh wait, yeah, yes, yes. There's so this thing what do you, called what do you got coming up that you're excited about, man? 
Oh, lots. Um, I'm actually shooting a project with Brandon next week. Uh, cool. Our first like kind of big one of the year, so really pumped about that. We're going to be in the studio here at Midwest Grip and Lighting. Um, yeah, I mean, we, our guest from last week, uh, Katie, we're going to have her. She's going to be on set. So, you know, kind of getting some of the familiar faces and crew back together after the movie's been over. Yeah. Are you, uh, after the movie's been over, what do you... Uh, the public, so after uh, oh, doing oh, right, the Emilio right. Estevez thing, right. yeah, kind of everybody was booked on that, and now there are a few people are back out in the wild, wild world of freelance. Sure. Do you uh, do you find yourself pursuing projects like that in the downtime, or does it just kind of, you, you know, you've been working this for X amount of years, where just kind of like your pipeline is pretty steady? Um, This year, I, I will say, is probably the first year where I, where I haven't had to go out and look for work, which is, it's been a yeah. great feeling. Um, I, you know, projects are kind of coming my way based on kind of a body of work that's been built up and a network. Um, but yeah, in years past, it was definitely doing the whole film and TV pro Mandy, you know, networking, <laughs> all that thing to try to find potential jobs. You know, I mean, it's not a job, it's a guy that knows of a job. Something like that, but this year has been great. It's just yeah. it's just been kind of a steady stream of coming my way, which I'm not complaining about. Would you would you like to stay, you know, in this narrative slash music video kind of world, or would you be open to doing more corporate stuff or you know other formats? Or is it kind of like ah, eh, this I know what I like now, and this is what I want to stick to? Uh, I will say this: I do a lot more work and different varying types of work than I show on my website. Uh, oh, okay. okay. So I do a lot of corporate commercial stuff that never, never makes it up there. And it's, you know, yeah. not, not to be, you know, that guy that's like, ah, it's just a paycheck or whatever, but you know, you got to pay the bills. <laughs> um, and it's just not the stuff that I want to focus on. So like mm-hmm. we were talking about in one of the previous episodes, uh, you know, putting up stuff on your website or in your reel that you do want to do. Like yep. I'm never opposed to yep. doing a job for a paycheck. That's, I'm never above that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the stuff that I want to actively focus on, that's the only stuff I'm going to put up on my site. So yeah, you're the narrative right. music video, uh, high end commercial stuff. Um, but no, I think everybody ends up doing the, the corporate, you know, corporate grind, um, underneath the surface, whether they show it or not. Yeah. Well, I, I, I took that advice cause I was, you know, for a while there, I, my, the work I was shooting was just anything I can get my hands on. So my portfolio was like mm. talking head stuff and then music video stuff. And then I had done real estate footage for a while when I first got going just to kind of get my feet wet and get some experience. And then I made cut a reel together and the DP on that feature I was on, I showed it to him. I was like, what do you think, man? Like, this is my first reel. Like, I just want it to be interesting for two minutes. What do you think? Yeah. And he was like, it looks great. Get rid of this. Get rid of this. Get rid of this. Yep. I was like, why? And he was like, because it's not the best. This should always be the absolute top 10% cream of the crop of whatever you shot. No doubt. And then as you move forward, you drop the less than eight, you drop all the sevens and replace them with eights and so on. So I took your guys' advice though and just, you know, cut that, cut that together and, I'm like, okay, this is cool. It's visually interesting. Um, and as I go, it'll get more diversified with the clips in there. But, you know, I mean, there's work that I've shot that I don't want to necessarily advertise because I don't want to get called for that. You know, a big part of my business is branding and graphic design and websites and stuff. You know, I'm not going to advertise business cards because it's like, I don't do that kind of work anymore. Um, I'll do, like, people call me up and go, hey, I need a logo. So I don't do logos. I do branding, you yeah. know. 
um, it's a different kind of work. So now the kind of work that I get is people who are like, I want you to brand my company. And I realize that the visual is just, you know, it's an extension of that. But yeah. what I want is kind of the meat of it. So with cinematography, like recently I shot a, a wedding as a, you know, I mean, I got paid for it, but it was sort of a favor to my, my uncle who's a DJ. And he was like, this couple really wants it, but they don't want to pay full boat for it. So shoot, I'll do it. I mean, I've never done one of these and I will never advertise a wedding videography as part of my business. I yeah. might start a separate company to have it under a different name because I know guys that have done that for oh, years too. and are like, dude, I make six figures a year doing this. I mean, uh-huh. I'm not creatively gratified, so I still have to <laughs> shoot music videos and shorts to get that out of my system. But I mean, that security of, you know, making that kind of money and it being super consistent is kind of nice and you have to have your creative outlet still but you know i've got a friend of mine that's like dude i you shoot 10 of these you shoot you shot 100 of them because they're all the same and the Mm. couples don't care that they're the same because it's their day yeah so for them it's new and it's unique it's just super consistent he's like but i have to do a music video every so often to like still flex my creative muscle oh no doubt yeah, but I mean, I think that, yeah, you just got to focus on what you want and, you know, do the other stuff for, uh, to pay the bills. No, there's yeah. no shame in it. I mean, that's why sure. <laughs> a lot of, like you said, I remember you mentioned on a yeah. previous episode that a lot of the, the short stuff is just, you know, it's a project, it's friends. You're not, you know, you're not taking pay for it. It's just yeah. because you want to create something great. Yeah. I want to flex my creative muscle and uh, do something fun. Which, by the way, Eddie was gorgeous, man. I loved it. I finally Thank saw you, it. dude. Yeah, really appreciate it. I'm yeah, kind of really. stoked that he Super got a... creepy, man. <laughs> right. Everybody keeps saying that he looks like... Uh... Oh, I can't I can't remember. Iggy either. Pop. Iggy Pop. <laughs> Which I kind of <laughs> see. I went and looked up a photo. I'm like, ah, oh, he does look like Iggy Pop. <laughs> That's funny. That was great, man. But, thank you. Well... Yeah. Cool, dude. Hey, this has been... This has been fun. Uh, you know, we need, we need to connect cross country a little more often yeah man i mean i don't know what you know when brandon was out here in la i almost ended up helping out in that shoot he was on Hmm. Uh, i guess he owed a favor to a buddy or something like that we still got to hang out but like dude if you guys are ever out here it'd be great to just hang out and grab a bourbon or a camera and you know work on something no doubt absolutely i'll be out there looks like in june for music videos so i'll have to hit you up and you know we'll link up grab a drink and uh meet face to face definitely Sweet, man. All right, brother. Well, thank you for uh, being on. Thanks for filling us in. And uh, cheers. Thanks for having me. See you. This podcast was recorded live at Sound Images Studio. Find out more at soundimages.com.